What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, it's been an interesting few couple of days, wouldn't you say? I feel like I've aged a hundred years over <laughs> these last couple of days. Uh, you got some gray hairs, maybe? If I had hair, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it would be gray. I've already lost it, so I don't know what else it could do to me. Um, oof, it's It has been a rough couple of days in Villanova basketball land. Yeah, to start it off, the AP poll came out on Monday. Villanova dropped out of the top 25, which I don't think is surprising based on the Temple loss, but it's definitely um, still jarring to see one of the top programs drop, you would think, pretty significantly out of that top 25. I saw a mixed reaction to where people saying that it's a, you know, was a complete overreaction to the Temple game to mm-hmm. drop them out, and some saying it's it's vindicated. I personally could not care less where they yeah. are ranked in November. Um, in all honesty, I don't really care where they're ranked in February either. It's all about how things are turning out in conference play and, and kind of putting together a resume. Um, so the the polling never means all that much to me uh, for it. But I, I think then again, after we saw what happened on Monday night here, um, Villanova does not deserve to be ranked at the moment and does need to really fight to be able to establish some of that credibility because they certainly have not uh, helped themselves these last two games, though I totally understand it being striking. I believe this is the first time Nova's unranked since 2019 off yeah. the top of my head. Um, so it's uh, it's certainly been a little bit. Yeah, that sounds like a good guess to me in terms of dates. So, I mean, that's back when we were in school. So, yeah, so 2019 was obviously a long time ago. This episode, we have a lot to talk about. And if you are new and listening in, welcome. Thank you so much while you're listening Make sure to just throw us a review on Apple. It takes two minutes and we really, really appreciate it. Just to show you behind the scenes a little bit of how we're going to approach this episode, Pat and I were talking beforehand. It would have been really nice if the Delaware State game was a blowout, Pat, and then we could have focused on Temple takeaways, but we might actually have more to say from this Delaware State game. So we're going to clump both games together, talk about general takeaways and questions from both, and then highlight some key moments from both games. But Something that really struck me as I was watching Delaware State on Monday night, we're recording after the game. You said that we wouldn't learn anything from Caleb Daniels playing 30 plus minutes against Delaware State. And we Hmm. hoped that this would be an opportunity for the young guys to really come out and shine. Turns out Nova actually did need to be specific 36 minutes from Caleb Daniels to win that game against Delaware State at home things didn't exactly turn out the way i think many of us projected here uh, against delaware state just if you're looking for some sign of measuring stick to go into this we can start with ken palm rankings you know one of my personal favorites uh delaware state is currently ranked 361st in the country there are 363 ranked teams for ken palm obviously not ideal um, secondly, you may be, you may like to, you know, throw a dollar or two down, uh, every so often on, on a Villanova spread, uh, Villanova was favored by 36 and a half points. I actually today. have never seen a spread like that. Have you? They pop up from time to time, uh, and they're usually assigned to stay away from that game. And I hope <laughs> everyone stayed away from that game, uh, for it tonight, yeah. because with a minus 36 and a half Villanova went into the half 
uh, down three here. This was a mismatch on paper as much as it could be, and it was not like that at all throughout this game. No, and we've mentioned some trap games down the stretch of the of the non-conference schedule. There are definitely some games where the BCs or the St. Joe's or even the Pens, the Oklahomas, could pose a threat to Villanova. This was not one of those games. This was a get-right game exactly. after Temple's loss, and it was not that. At any point, in any 40 minutes of that game, it was not a get-right game because I tried so hard to view it in a vacuum and be excited about the action on the court, but I couldn't get out of my mind the text that you sent me before the game about those Kempom numbers because this was the second worst team in Division I college basketball coming into this game, and this just wasn't an acceptable way to, to play. Uh, it it certainly was not. Uh, just they, they came out flat. Uh, that's actually now the second time here as we look over the last couple of games. Um, where things just haven't worked out in the first 10 minutes or so. They scored seven points in the first 10 minutes against Temple on the road, and it was eight against Delaware State uh, at the Finneran Pavilion here. So they've really struggled to get into a groove. Now against LaSalle, I believe they were at 19. So things worked out against a, you know, a, a decent opponent there. Delaware State does not rank up to as much as a LaSalle as well. So scoring eight points in the first 10 minutes and what drove me insane and, and assists most certainly are not everything, but there was one assist through like the first 12 minutes of the first half, which I think when you're looking for ways to sum up how static an offense was and, and where there just wasn't any movement, one assist through it is a pretty nice way of showing that the ball movement just was not there. Yeah. I think we have to start there because offense being stagnant was probably the biggest takeaway for me from the Temple game. Yes. So I enjoyed the heavier shot selection against Delaware State to start. There was a lid on the basket for the majority of the first half. That's not something you take away from this game. There are just nights when guys aren't going to have the highest shooting percentages of their career. That's fine. But the thing for me was that there was way too much of an emphasis on iso ball at Temple. And then against Delaware State, there was way too much of an emphasis on passing the ball and giving up good shots. And then in other possessions, settling for bad shots. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about identity a lot this year, figuring out within these first few games who this team is, who's going to be the clutch guy down the stretch, who's going to be able to create their own shot. They struggled in these last two games trying to figure out what exactly they look like on offense. And as a result, it's causing them to start really, really slow. And unfortunately, it's a mix of their defense also not being able to keep up. And these teams are starting hot because Nova has a target on their back and teams are sensing weaknesses and getting them. I'm disappointed in kind of the offensive game plan or, or lack thereof that I've seen so far this season. I think there's been a lot of dribbling uh, around the three-point line with not a ton of movement um, yeah. that we've seen so far. I think Nova has kind of gone to their fail-safe of when things aren't working. They just throw it down to Eric Dixon and say, Eric, go back your guy down and throw up a lefty layup, and, and we'll see if it's going to go in. And listen, more often than not, Eric Dixon has a chance to make that shot because he's a very, very talented big man underneath the basket. But when you're looking for some fluidity, when you're looking for some sort of rhythm, 
it's not exactly the way to do it when just nothing else is working. So you have to continually try and, and work yourself down there. So I've been disappointed. Uh, I have some thoughts on why some of that is, um, but it has been a, a really rough start. Yeah, I can highlight three plays off the top of my head from this Delaware State game that the offense seemed like it was starting to click. There was a Lord, Jordan Longino breakaway layup where he just absolutely flew by his, his defender and laid it up. Dixon got the ball about five feet under the basket and laid it up. And then that backdoor cut by Hausen from Dixon. Mm-hmm. Those plays, it seemed like, sparked something because they were pushing the pace and because they were keeping, in this case, Delaware State's defense on its toes. They were trying to work in transition, and they were also exploiting their strengths using their strengths, which is versatility and athleticism and a guy like Jordan Longino, but then they never went back to those plays. You're right. There was so much dribbling around the three-point line, and I'm not sure why tempo isn't being used in a, as a strength when it so obviously is, and settling for a shot at the end of the shot clock isn't working with this year's team like it was last year when Gillespie or Samuels or Moore could nail a shot as the shot clock is going down. Yeah, there is no tempo on this team. This team has played very, very slow, which of course is something we've seen from Villanova over the past couple of seasons. But I think there are part of reasons why we've seen that. Uh, I It really gets the feeling that Villanova doesn't have the personnel to be able to run a, a faster offense. And I do believe a lot of that does come down to guard play. You know, I, this is not going to be an episode about, about Chris Archidiacono for it, but I think it's impossible to overlook what we've seen from, from Temple and Delaware State, where we're, we're at the point now where he has more turnovers and more fouls, five and three, than assists and field goals made, both at two. So if you're looking for impact, it's just not there right now. And what that's causing is Caleb Daniels to really have to bear a brunt at a point guard position, which is a spot that he can play but it really doesn't fit his strength because what Caleb is doing or what Caleb wants to do is be able to look to put up shots and, and find openings and such. It's a heck of a lot harder to find your shot when you are also supposed to be the main facilitator there on offense. Think about it a year ago when Colin Gillespie really was starting to get hot and take over game scoring. What happened? Justin Moore played point guard a hell of a lot more and it, it allowed for Colin to be able to get run off of screens and, and find shots with how this offense is currently constituted. And you know what? There was a little tinkering in the second half, which I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> that. I look at as, as a positive sign here. No, Caleb Daniels never really got going in this game, but I think that's the way you're going to unlock him is trying to move him back off the ball. Yeah. He's definitely stronger playing off ball, trying to find those openings where he can sink that three point shot because Aside from that first LaSalle game where he had his career high in three-point shooting, it has been slim pickings so far. So he is obviously struggling under the brunt of the pressure of being the main facilitator. My question for you is, oh, actually, I'll start with this first. I have been, I am at this point surprised now by Kyle Neptune's face, faith in Chris Arch, seemingly following in Jay Wright's footsteps in the, in the playing time that Chris Arch has had, because I think everybody's listening knows you aren't going to find Chris Arch slander here. We're just not going to do it. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but it's the facts and Pat just read them off. He is 
not facilitating the way he should be or in a way that's helping this team. My question is, though, do you have enough faith in Mark Armstrong to facilitate or Angelo Brizzy? You can take that route as well mm-hmm. to really change the way this offense looks from a facilitating standpoint. There are not a lot of positives. I think anyone's going to be able to. That's what I mean. Like, that's why Chris. Yeah, Chris Arch isn't the. Oh, without him, with Mark Armstrong instead, this team is X much better. I don't think it's as easy as a solution as that. It's certainly not. But uh, of all the brutal things to happen in this game, I come away with it feeling pretty good about wanting to continue to grow Mark Armstrong's influence over this team. That's true. Uh, I I am super impressed with the way he on ball defends, which I think is going to be a really important path to playing time here for some of these guards. Uh, when the ball's in his hand, it moves around a little bit more. I think you feel better about his ability for dribble penetration as well with some of that quickness. Um, of course, he is still going to be growing into this role and, and trying to figure things out a little bit on the fly here, but. I, I told you on the season preview episode, and I, I stand by it even more so, even just three games into the season, I, I want Mark Armstrong to end up taking over the the starting point guard duties here. Now, to your point, I do not think a, flitch, a, a switch magically flips when that happens, and Villanova's now firing on all cylinders, putting up 85 points a game or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I just would rather go into that potential that we see these flashes of where you can, it's undeniable to say how talented he is, and I think that's only going to continue to grow with the more opportunities he's given. Yeah, the thing that I'm still watching too, and it, it truly is, no matter the outcome of this game, it's unfortunate that this couldn't be the get-right game just so that we could see more of the young guys, right? Like, I was yeah. much more interested in this game from a development perspective than actually watching the action on the court. So it stinks that we really weren't able to see that because Villanova was genuinely trying to win for the majority of this game. But something that I'm keeping an eye on is it's also doesn't seem clear to me at this point that Armstrong is getting the hand more than Brizzy because their minutes have switched in temple. Brizzy had 17. He, he hit that three pointer, which was nice. He had a few rebounds. He had a couple of steals. Armstrong had 13 minutes, one for two from the field. He was pretty quiet against Delaware state. It was almost exactly the opposite Armstrong 15 minutes, seven points. He single-handedly kept the offense afloat for a few minutes in that second half. Brizzy was much more quiet, only 11 minutes, and he was over from the floor. So, again, still a small sample size three games in, but I wouldn't have been surprised if Mark Armstrong was far and away the sixth man off the bench and the backup point guard to Arch. I don't know if it's that cut and dry right now. Do you agree? Or what do you what are you seeing there? So I actually lead that more to something we're learning about Kyle Neptune as through mm. his first couple games here, which we've mentioned is going to be one of the main things all Villanovans are really watching. And I think a part of what we've seen and a part of what we saw on Monday night, and it goes further than Armstrong, is that he will lean on the hot hand. And it's not as much as this is what's set, this is what's going to happen he will kind of adjust on the fly a little bit. First exhibit A of that is Mark Armstrong, who did play more than Angelo Brizzy. I don't think Angelo had a a great game today. He did make some, was involved on the defensive side a couple times, um, but it it wasn't anything special. I was watching him pretty intently um, from the bleachers on Monday night, but Mark Armstrong most certainly made an impact 
while he was out there, did drill the three, showed the quickness, got to the basket, all of that stuff. And someone we haven't even mentioned who you cannot not mention as we talk more about this game, you know, Brendan Housen got into that game, made an immediate impact. And no, he wasn't just sent back to the bench. He played extended minutes and even more so we're going down the stretch here of a close game and, and Neptune's going offense for defense between Housen and Archie Diacono. That's riding a hot hand. And that's an interesting development from a coach still kind of developing his philosophies. I love that point. And yeah, we have gone long enough into this episode without mentioning the new Villanova favorite. Brendan yeah, we're Housen. happy, right? Let's go with a, let's <laughs> a positive spin a little bit on what we saw. I absolutely love drawing up the play call. The three in the corner for Housen, his first collegiate basket, his first game time since LaSalle being able to nail that shot. Oh my God, what a way to win the crowd and truly becoming the guy that the fans want to see. He got lost on defense a few times, but I don't think that overshadowed the fact that he's a scrappy defender, man. He sticks around on the perimeter at least. And finally, and to I think everyone's delight, we really saw how lethal that shot can be. It's so pure. Again, you know, lo- looking at Kyle Neptune here, I give Neptune a ton of credit for looking at his bench and saying, you know, this game is not going as planned. There's been very little impact from beyond the arc. I have a guy who's an incredibly heralded high school three-point shooter. We're going to try something new and, and we're going to bring him into the game here in the second Why half. Not? And you know what? They, As you said, they went to him right away. I thought he played, you know, his movement was pretty solid. On offense, he did even try to get to the basket. He attempted a back uh, a backdoor pass to to a cutting Dixit or Daniels, excuse me. At one point, the ball did get knocked away, um, but it stayed Villanova's way. Defensively, no, uh, Housen's not where Armstrong is right now uh, on the defensive side of the ball. He still most certainly has a ways to go, but. I was I still came away feeling good about Brendan Housen and thinking he's going to be in the rotation on on Friday, just based off of the, the impact that he did make. So we're, we're learning more every game about how this program is going to be run. And I I think that's another thing that Kyle, I can't imagine Brendan Housen was going to get in this game as planned uh, when it was close like that, but things weren't working. So tried something new and you know what? It paid off. Yeah. Why not? I really, I really, really like that too. And it almost completely erased all questions in my mind that this was going to be a redshirt year for Housen. I know you and I broached that topic a few weeks ago. It seems like he's genuinely a point or a part in this rotation. And that actually brings me to something else. We've been getting so many questions and it feels like everybody's talking about the number that the rotation will be. How deep will this Villanova team can be and quantify it with a number? And I think the point you just made, Pat, about riding the hot hand negates that point. We're not going to see a number because Brendan Housen may come off the bench in a critical point when the offense needs a spark. So that adds another guy. On the flip side, Trey Patterson, again, is not developing the way we hoped, and he wasn't a factor against Delaware State, and he only got eight minutes against Temple. So it's so hard to quantify or to know Kyle Neptune's game plan and also what the game is going to call for. So I guess my my piece of advice to people is to stress less about the number and how deep this bench will look, especially with Moore and Whitmore coming back and all those hypotheticals. 
I, I think you you actually really nailed it on the head, Pat, that it's just going to be who's hot and who's contributing at that point in the game. That's where you are, too, with a lot of these younger players, where it is going to be a little streaky. I don't think you're going to have the consistency yeah. that you would expect out of an older player there. I, I do want to bring some credit to to Trey Patterson for tonight. Uh, I, I know that if you look at the box score, there's not much in there. And listen, box score is important. It can certainly tell a story. Trey's had a pretty difficult start to the season. I, I think he was pretty anonymous against Temple on Friday night. He did some things well against Delaware State. And I, I thought it was a nice building block. Uh, defensively, he looked a lot more in it. He had some good box outs. He moved the ball around a little bit on offense. I, for the first time in, you know, three games, so obviously a very small sample size, um, but for the first time this season, I came away feeling, okay, that was a positive development for him, which I think is a, is a strong step forward for someone that needed something like that. No, this wasn't the Trey Patterson coming out game where he scored 12 yeah. points and really impacted, but I think we're looking for some steps forward here. And I do want to credit him where I think he put in a decent shift when they needed him. Yeah, that's definitely all you can ask for. I was curious about plus minuses in this game because I really felt like Brendanhausen's plus minus would be about 50 <laughs> in, in the limited the time that he like, played. Right? Yeah, and, and I was bummed that Longino ran into some foul trouble down the stretch because I did feel like he was a stabling factor, at least in the first half on offense. He's he got to be finished... careful. He's doing Yeah, that. he only – yeah, exactly, yeah. I, I just I, listen. Jordan Longino is a, a good defender, and I think we talk about it. I really like Jordan Longino, and and talk about all the the untapped potential with him as well. Where Jordan Longino gets into trouble is that he likes to gamble a little bit. He's trying to force that turnover. He he wants to be able to run in transition, and what that does is it puts him in some rough spots where sometimes he just swipes at a guy, or he's caught leaning in one direction and then tries to try and recover and, and gets called for the foul here. Longino is so athletic and and so talented on the defensive side. I'd rather see him stay a little bit more conservative and just react rather than trying to predict so yeah. far because I think it's what's put him in a little bit of a difficult spot foul-wise so far this season. Totally agree. And then on the offensive end, it also, if he can stay set on defense, I think it allows them to work better in transition and hopefully you can try and raise the tempo in that vein which I think this team needs. I think you obviously don't want to start from the ground up against a team like Michigan State on Friday night, but it needs some reworking because this reliance on Dixon Slater Daniels isn't working because, again, we mentioned Daniels. It's hard for him to facilitate and try and make shots for himself. Dixon, he scored 17. He had another double-digit performance against Temple. I think he had 15 in that game. Or he had 18 against Temple, excuse me. And then Slater, I think we should transition to him because I know you have some thoughts. Mm -hmm. Besides the free throw line, which he was perfect from tonight, 12 for 12 against Delaware State, it's hard for him to get going early, I guess. He did finish with those 15 points, which is surprising for me when I saw it on the on the box score because – I don't know if it felt like a 15 point performance from Slater. We're going to go back to, uh, to being real on it. Um, Villanova won this game because they went to the foul line 25 times and they made 21 yeah. of them. 
that, that's why Delaware State only had four free throw attempts and, and they made all four of them. And Slater um, is so good at that. He is so good at knowing when his team needs to get to the free throw line and, and hitting those shots. To his credit, and we talked about it a million times last year, the free throw shooter that he has developed into from the one that came into Villanova is honestly is an incredible success story about Villanova's uh, development here and has become a, a massive weapon for this program. We look at look at Brandon Slater, and I think back to to Temple and dropping that game, especially, and, and a little bit uh, tonight as well uh, against Delaware State. Though it's not as profound because, um, of course, he did get to the line all those times. I need to see more from Brandon Slater here, and I understand that Brandon Slater, through and through, is a defensive player. That that is where that is his bread and butter. That is where he's made his impact. This is coming from someone that has been one of the biggest Brandon Slater. Uh, supporter since the second he walked onto campus and kind of seeing the, how he could impact the game on the defensive side. The thing is, things change and situations transition. And that's where we are right now, where it's no longer, oh, Sadiq Bey is on this team, Jeremiah Robinson Earl's on this team, Colin Gillespie's on this team, you know, Justin Moore is leading the charge from out there. This is a different situation now. And because of that, Brandon Slater also needs to shift with that different situation and become more involved on the offensive side of the ball. We know he can do it. We've seen him do it last year when he was really breaking out towards the beginning of the season before that ankle injury. And then he had a nice stretch post uh, ankle injury as well before the scoring dried up in the NCAA tournament. Two field goal attempts today, of course, got to the line 12 times, Uh, only five against Temple as well on Friday night. I need to see him grow in his influence on this offense. I need to see him take more shots from outside. I think the driving is huge. Honestly, it was already a big, uh, big plus on Monday, seeing him really go towards the basket. That's how he got fouled and went to the free throw line 12 times because he was a heck of a lot more aggressive and getting involved underneath the hoop than he was on Friday but I still need to see more because for this Villanova team to hold down the fort for this Villanova team to really progress over the next couple of weeks while they are waiting for Justin Moore and Cam Whitmore to be added to the fold, they need scoring and Brandon Slater needs to help evolve into that. Yeah. And it's so surprising to me because we were having this conversation last year about him needing to drive to the basket. He was taking too many shots and we wanted him to drive. I remember an episode where I think, he led the team in field goal attempts. And we said, that's great for Slater. And we, we were glad that he's found his shots, but his strength comes from driving and putting defenses on their heels and going to the free throw line and then making that shot. So I remember when at the beginning of last year, I think I listed off at the beginning of this season, all those double digit point performances from the beginning of last year before he got hurt against the, against decent teams at the beginning of last year too. It's there. John Rothstein, I think, really um, buried the lead when he said to buy stock in Brandon Slater because teams started zeroing in on him more. And I get that. And I think that's something that Daniels is dealing with now. When you become the first and second options, as opposed to being the fourth or fifth options last year, that comes with more pressure. But now we know that the shot exists for Slater. We know that it can be a strength because it was last year and he's not going to it this year. And we, we know that he's healthy. We know that he can impact the games another way. And now we just want the shot to come back. That's where I'm at with it. 
yeah, I, I want to see him be more aggressive because I, I do know that he can do it. I mean, he shot 34% from three last right. year. Is that great? No. But is that serviceable? Absolutely. And it's a threat. It, it puts the defenses threat. on their toes. That's that's the issue, too. Because if the defenses know he's going to drive every time, then pack the box. Pretty much. And, and while, you know, as, as we talk about with as this offense evolves and tries to figure out who is going to add some scoring here as Caleb Daniels looks to find his shot. I I think I just talked through ways that I think can assist for, for Caleb finding that shot. They need another punch somewhere. And and Slater is the most likely guy as Longino still kind of grows into that role. I think you're going to see him more flourish on the defensive side than the offensive side that we have seen some sparks, such as that huge three hit against temple down the stretch. That makes you Mm -hmm. believe. I just, I don't think you can fully trust him. So you look at Brandon Slater then and say, that's where I expect to score some points. And I want to see that grow. Yeah. So we've danced around the topic. I think now we should actually say it Uh, three point shooting. This team looks just about as differently as you could. <laughs> Which one do you want to talk about, Temple? Or, every, uh... <laughs> from every Villanova team that you've ever seen. So, actually, tales of two different tapes, too. Just Temple, two for seven from three. Delaware State, five for 27. Which, okay, 27 three-pointers, that's just about average from last year. But they didn't make one until they had 17 misses. They went three halves of basketball three 20 minute periods of basketball without making a three-point attempt pat that is astounding for one of the best three-point shooting programs in college basketball historically uh or over the last couple seasons i i raised some questions about that three-point shooting and i feel unfortunately pretty vindicated in it right now now i think there's still opportunity for it to get a little better uh but the, the Temple game really was a, a textbook way of showing that this offense wasn't moving because they, mm-hmm. they weren't able to find any open looks from deep. Temple played very strong man-to-man. They did not leave their guy, and there were no openings. And unlike LaSalle, where Caleb Daniels chucked up a, a bunch of really contested threes and he drilled them, mind you, it didn't, it didn't happen against temple they they decided to to change the game plan around and really go inside against delaware state game plan completely shifted and from the get-go they started throwing up threes which i understand i I think it's also a natural reaction after what was Mm -hmm. pretty shocking to see villanova attempt so few threes i mean if you go back just a year the least amount of threes they attempted was 11 in a win over uconn And if you think to that game, that's where there was a hobbled Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore. So again, there wasn't the three-point shooting that that was normally available to them. But it still just wasn't working against Delaware State because I do think there's a lack of three-point shooters on this team, especially when Daniels is not able to get those looks. So I am worried about the three-point shooting. I'm not sure. I think two for seven is way too low. I think five for 27 probably doesn't give them enough credit. But yeah. you, you most certainly can ask questions about this team's ability to really hurt you from deep. Like we've seen over the past couple of years with Villanova that we know, you know, it's shoot them up, sleep in the streets. Well, it, I'm not sure I would call Temple sleep in the streets because they attempted <laughs> seven. They slept in the streets uh, from three against Delaware State and they just made them pay at the foul line. Yeah. And I think when we have a bigger sample size, it'll be somewhere in the middle in terms of three point shooting percentage, not in terms of makes. I don't think we ever see as low as Temple again. 
I don't think Caleb Daniels is going to make six out of seven threes. I also don't think he's going to hit as few as he has attempted over the past two games. So I think it'll end up somewhere. A lot of averages, it'll end up somewhere in the middle. The thing that scares me, and it came much more into focus against Temple, is threes, you have different personnel, you expect a regression. This team has not been very good from two either. And when you're not great from three and you're not great from two, (laughs) you have a loss against Temple, which was a tough big five road game. I give Temple a lot of credit. We haven't mentioned that yet, but I was not one of the, yeah, yeah, I was not one of the huge overreactors after this game. That was a tough, scrappy, resilient team. And I give them a lot of credit. Delaware state, you have more red flags and this team against, again, one of the worst statistic, according to Ken Palm defenses in division one to shoot 37% from the floor does not instill a lot of confidence going up against again, the big, the uh, Michigan States and the Iowa States. And as we get closer and closer to conference play. If you're not great from three and you're struggling from two, you better be effective from one. And that's what everyone was. <laughs> hey, you know what? State. Good point. They are. They are still effective from one. I, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so that's that's the thing. The, the broadcasters were saying that too, actually. And I think that's a good segue. This team, and, and you can see it the way that Slater and Daniels play. They have very high IQ. They're still not turning the ball over a lot. To give them credit, they rallied against Delaware State, right? They didn't let the lead get completely out of hand where they weren't able to get back into this game. They still are fundamentally the same team. They're just going to have to change their identity and form a game plan fast so that they can start faster and look better on offense. And I want to talk about the defense, too. What have you been thinking about the emphasis on the zone? We've seen it a lot lately. We have seen uh, Kyle go to zone, and I'm fine with that. It, it It's a way to really change up looks um, and try and make teams uncomfortable because we know it doesn't happen all that often. I'm glad you segued to defense because I'll tell you something I want to see more of. Uh, an issue on Friday night was that Temple was way too comfortable on offense. They, they were mm-hmm. never rushed. They were able to run their sets with, with Battle and Dunn, and Reynolds, of course, made them pay down low. What I want to see more, and we saw it at the start, and then they backed off of it immediately, is the, like, Mikhail Bridges press, basically. It's the fake press. Oh, it's yeah. not a full press, you know, where where they're following you all the way up the court. This isn't uh, Rick Pitino at Louisville. But you know they have guys that can do it in a Longino, in a Slater, that can kind of play in that rover position and try and execute traps where they can to really speed teams up and try and force some turnovers and make them uncomfortable. And that is something that Temple, it just didn't happen at all. And Delaware State, I got so excited when I saw it early. I'm like, oh, that's one of my points for the podcast. They're going to start executing it. And they pulled it back very quickly. Yeah. So I think I, it was I literally get a little more aggressive. I think it was literally first possession. And then I don't know if we saw it again. <laughs> I think you might be right on that one. I thought the same thing. I love it. I absolutely love it. And that's another thing. If you're, Again, kind of taking the losses, knowing that this team isn't going to be as talented from beyond the arc. Try and force it on defense and then use your personnel to your advantage and get the athletic guys like Langino and Slater going and try and score in transition. It's just so sensitive. And Jay Wright was like this too. That three-quarter court press is so sensitive because when they get burned by it, 
they immediately go away from it. And, and that's what happened. We talked so so one of my points about Temple too is they did not being they did not end up being as much of a two man show as we thought. Reynolds was really good down low at least to start, or actually throughout the whole game. And then he was Hicks super was, effective. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Hicks was good to start. He ended up one and nine, but still the threat of him down low, I think put turned Villanova on its head a little bit. And then going back to Delaware State, you mentioned that they had two really big forwards and you were interested about watching how Dixon performed. Dixon was fine. It was just keeping up on defense and then not being able to work in transition where it burned them. The biggest key was that Eric Dixon didn't get into foul trouble immediately because that's what really doomed Nova from the start against Temple was that he had the three or the two fouls in the first three and a half minutes and two very bad fouls. uh, And Temple completely took advantage for a a stretch after that, which allowed them to uh, to really put their fingers all over this game and made it difficult for Villanova to come back into it. That was not the case against Delaware State, though I think Delaware State made things a little difficult inside from time to time. That's actually why you saw Trey Patterson get uh, inserted into the game in the first place because he gave a little bit more length to the interior. And again, I, I think he played a, a decent job at, at fulfilling the role he was asked to do. So We'll take the baby steps um, and, yeah. and some positives from what otherwise has been a very frustrating couple of days of Villanova basketball. Yeah, so I'm sure I'm not the only one who's going to say this, but I missed the beginning of the Temple game because I was struggling with my FS2 access. I'm, I'm hoping some people listening feel the same way. Uh, ESPN Plus, right, for Temple? I'm sorry, ESPNU. Yeah, FS2 is a different story. Also some issues, but ESPNU was the bigger issue for me on Friday night. Yeah, thank you. So when Dixon had those two early fouls, because I think this is something we are going to run into, we've mentioned it, Villanova doesn't have the big depth luxury. What did that look like? Was Slater able to seamlessly fit in? Because it looks like Reynolds was off and running pretty much to start. That was a complete mess. Um, yeah. against temple once once dixon went out so it was i i think that gives you some red flags here and it kind of goes to the importance that he needs to conserve those fouls and villanova needs to figure out some other options uh, to be able to score because as, as talked about a little earlier when nova gets in trouble it has been okay let's throw it down to eric and, and see what he can do down there yeah that's not always going to be an option so that's why diversifying on offense and finding ways to create shots for some other guys becomes so important yeah, and that scares me when it's happening against Temple and Delaware State because absolutely no disrespect to them. We can we are in no position to disrespect either of those programs, but when conference play starts, you know that's what they're going to try to exploit. I'm looking get at you, Adonis Eric Dixon. Yeah, get Eric Dixon out of that game, and teams will, at this point, run over Villanova because those big, big men will just dominate. If Reynolds is going to dominate, just think about what Sonogo can do. Big test on Friday um, yeah. uh, against Michigan State being a a true road game. But what I'm really interested in is they're going up against Tom Izzo. And I want to see, and I'm very intrigued to see how he game plans for this Villanova team. Because I think that will tell you a lot of how some of these uh, other Power 5 conference teams feel good about point. Villanova. Yeah, that's a really good point. Whether they're going to emphasize Dixon or trying to get Villanova on its heels on defense, working transition, yeah, I think we're we're going to spend the entire episode on Thursday previewing that game. I watched a lot of the aircraft game against Gonzaga, which I thought oh, was so awesome. Cool. So, so cool. Let's um, do it every year, college basketball. Yeah, for real, for real. And with those same marquee matchups, I thought was awesome. But we will have loads of time to do that and answer 
mailbag questions on Thursday, which I'm excited about because I think the people will be talking. But that actually leads me into something I am genuinely curious about your answer to. What are how have your expectations shifted after three games? Because you and I hoped they would be undefeated as we record on this Monday night. You'll be listening on Tuesday morning. We hope they would be undefeated. They're not. And you can take expectations however you want in the future in terms of right now, just generally testing the temperature right now for you. Had certainly hoped, but also throughout there that Temple was a good basketball team and, and was going to cause some issues. So wasn't shocked to, to see them drop that one. Uh, expectations wise, I think it's still so difficult to really project them out, just understanding that Justin Moore and Cam Whitmore are not a part of this team and they are the two most talented players uh, on this mm-hmm. Villanova squad. So it's really difficult. But what we are seeing is how badly they do need them to really give them some other options and show some other looks here. So I expectations are, I still think this is a good Villanova team. I think they're going to have some struggles and they're going to be some bumps here while they figure things out, especially in the backcourt. Um, so it's, it's a first year of a new head coach and a transition. It's what we talked about in the, in the preseason preview. This is, it's not always going to be pretty while they still figure things out. And it most certainly has not been pretty so far though. All that said, I don't think that means you just completely tank expectations and think anything is gravy at this point. This can still be uh, an effective team. They just need to figure some things out and find themselves. Yeah. I'm disappointed. I think it's okay to be disappointed. I also think it's okay that we might've been, a little bit too high we might not have anticipated as many roadblocks or bumps in the road but that being said we can't get through five minutes without talking about the potential of the young guys and Mm -hmm. that's a good spot to be you can you can be disappointed in Caleb Daniels shooting of late or Brandon Slater's role on the offense you can be disappointed in that but you can also be so excited about what bench depth and the point guard committee will look like with Housen coming out party on Monday night with Armstrong starting to look really, really good with Brizzy really coming into his own in this system. So there is still, the ceiling is still high is what I'm thinking. My expectations have definitely been tampered a little bit. I don't think they're going to get through the marquee non-conference games as easily as I perhaps thought but there's still room for growth for the young guys, especially. And I know I, you don't want to put all the the pressure on Moore and Whitmore, who we still, Whitmore especially, you would hope that we would have some news at this point. We really don't still. So you don't want that to be the only savior of the season because I do think there is stuff to look forward to still with the core seven or eight, let's say, that saw time on Monday night. They are just if they want to be dangerous they need him yeah. and justin back um yeah. so that that's where it is and we'll keep watching and you know excited yeah i'll go with excited still to to see you know <laughs> what happens on friday night because that's a big deal if if they get blown out on friday night woof, uh things are gonna be real interesting quick yeah but, then we potentially um, real assess yeah but it's uh it's been a rough couple of days. I think we, we sum that up pretty well, but still, you know, talk through some things we'd like to see change. Um, some things that I think are easy fixes to try and help um, mm-hmm. propel things a little bit and, uh, and see how they continue to adjust here moving forward as they learn more and more about this team. 
Yeah, that's the perfect way to sum it up. Probably not the episode you expected on this Tuesday morning as you're listening. But nonetheless, you're ending on a positive note because you know that's how you're going to get it with Pat and I. Trying, at least. I'm trying. Trying. Pat, you really needed that 20 or 30 minute cool down ride from the game when you were coming back. You really needed that, I could tell. You almost got me in a really emotional state here, which I try not to be too (laughs) emotional on uh, when we record these podcasts, but I was still pretty hot uh, when I left the pavilion tonight. Yeah, a lot to discuss, a lot to discuss. But again, hopefully you feel like we got a pretty comprehensive overview of the last two games. And then, like I mentioned, Thursday will be all Michigan State all the time. And actually, we wanted to mention the Gavit games just a little bit. Those are beginning. We've had some action Monday night, and then throughout this entire week. So those will be fun games to watch, too. Hey, as we record this, DePaul beat Minnesota. That's the only game we know um, that has happened so far. Uh, So good start for the Big East there. Some fun ones to watch, you know, throughout Northwestern, Georgetown, Marquette, Purdue, Nebraska, St. John's, Iowa, Seton Hall. And then Friday, of course, Villanova, Michigan State. But Indiana at Xavier, also a very Mm. intriguing game. So some good matchups always is when these two conferences square off against each other. Uh, It should be a ton of fun to watch this week, plus the Champions Classic as well. So. College basketball starts to uh, ramp up a little bit uh, in terms of matchups. I was just going to say, three weeks in and we have erased the problem of no marquee matchups. We are good now. It'll be a good week. And hey, Nova Nation, I know it's been frustrating and I know we're all upset. But hey, at least we're not Louisville. Uh, <laughs> the be. last couple of days that they've gone through losing to uh, Bellarmine and then losing DJ Wagner, the number one recruit in the country yeah. to their arch rival, Kentucky. I didn't even think about of that, too. Of yeah. days. Losing the bye game is bad in and of itself. And then you got to lose the top recruit. That hurts. That well, then they hurts. followed it up with a loss to Wright State, too. So, uh, <laughs> again, Nova Nation, it could be much worse <laughs> as worse. <laughs> they try to figure something out under a new coach. Um, at least Villanova is two and one here. But I know True. very, very low bar, but hopefully that made you smile. Still better. Still better. I think you were successful. That was the goal. <laughs> Anything else you want to hit? No, that's all I got. I, I do. I think hopefully as you're listening, you took a deep breath from last night. You've let out some of the pain and we recentered. And literally all you can do now is think ahead to Michigan State. And I do think if anything, the loss against Temple and this near loss against Delaware State has remotivated this team. And I do think they are going to come out much faster and look much better against Michigan State. But again, we've we've got 45 minutes to talk about that on Thursday. <laughs> I appreciate your optimism. Um, yeah. so we can all we can all only hope. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the state of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for plenty of Wildcats content all season long. Follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N pod. Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes and follow us on Spotify so you never miss an episode. As Emma said, we will be back at it on a Thursday for a full Michigan State preview. Hope everyone cools off. Reflects. Villanova did win on Monday night. We will talk to you on Thursday and Nova Nation. That's a wrap.